You're listening to the Ministry Grow Show, brought to you by Reliant Creative, the creative agency for gospel-centered ministries. Find out more at ReliantCreative.org. Welcome to the Ministry Grow Show, a podcast dedicated to helping churches and ministries grow and make more effective impacts for the kingdom of God in an ever-changing digital world. Whether you're building and growing a gospel-centered ministry or leading a church, if you want insight into the strategies, struggles, challenges, and successes of other ministry leaders, you've come to the right place. Welcome back to the Ministry Growth Show. Today on the show, I'm going to be talking with Brooks Buser. He is the president of Radius International. Brooks, thanks for being on the show. No worries, Zach. Glad to do it. Can you tell us a little bit about Radius International, uh, maybe share what your role is within the organization, and then um, talk a little bit about what you are currently most excited about with what God's doing through the organization? Yeah, no, um, Radius is a very unique organization. I have the privilege of serving as the president of it. It's unique in that it's not a sending agency. If you think of it visually, you have the churches on your left side, you have sending agencies for missionaries on your right, and right smack dab in the middle is Radius. Radius is a training school, 10-month training school located in Mexico uh, for training North American college students. You have to have your college degree, you have to be recommended by your church, and you have to be committed to going to an unreached, unengaged people group. And so Radius trains students for 10 months down in Mexico, we train uh, in a holistic manner to where they have early morning workouts, their internet gets taken away for the first six months. They have a lot of classes on church planting, a lot of books, a lot of other aspects to it, but it's a very unique program. That's really cool. Do you guys find it uh, difficult with those requirements to find attendees? No, probably the most exciting thing right now is uh, we had a very skinny waiting list last year. We have a much thicker waiting list this year. We, we cap each one of our classes. It's not come one, come all. So three years ago, we took 40. Uh, last year, we took 50. This year, we're going to take 60. We'll probably make a handful of exceptions. So the class size will be somewhere between 60 to 65. And there will be people on the waiting list. We find that... Um, when you paint the picture for certain individuals in society that this is going to be very difficult, this is going to be very hard, uh, you actually get the right kind of people that stand up and say, we want to do this and we want to take this training, but we ought, more than taking the training, they want to take the gospel to where it's never been before, where there is no gospel, no disciples, no church, and Radius kind of is geared towards that. So we find there's a swath of people that are looking for a serious school that will get them out there. And so we appeal to not everybody. I mean, we're definitely not everyone's fit, but for right. that strata that's looking for it, we very much are right down main street. That's cool. And have you always been a training only organization? And also secondarily to that, how long you guys been around? Yeah. School's been around since 2011. Uh, it was started by a handful of pastors and missions pastors that were asking the question, why are we sending people overseas and they're not making it longer than two years? Statistically, North American missionaries, 65 to 70 percent of them don't last longer than two years. And it's not because they don't love Jesus. It's not because they don't know their Bible. It's because they were untrained and they had bad expectations for what they were stepping into. So Radius kind of came out of that in 2011 started uh, with seven students and then just slowly has grown over the last eight years as it keeps moving forward. It's grown to two campuses now in Mexico and a third campus in Taichung, Taiwan, that is all 
dedicated for the Mandarin speaking world. So yeah, it's only been a send or only been a training agency. The sending agencies come down and recruit from our student body. Gotcha. And then can you share with our audience uh, a quick summary of your church planting background, just to give some context to some of the things that we're going to discuss today? Yeah. Um, my wife and I are graduates of San Diego Christian College. Uh, some of your listeners may be familiar with David Jeremiah. He's the founder. He was the president of the college when we attended. He's still a good family friend to this day. Um, I got a degree in accounting. She got a degree in counseling psychology. We, I worked as a CFO uh, for a Dutch multinational for a handful of years, not right out of college, but through a series of different events. Uh, we worked in Europe. And then through that time, uh, we actually got challenged into missions um, and not through necessarily a missionary call. We read our Bibles. Uh, we believed what it said. And we said, okay, there's got to be more than what we're doing with our lives. And so we, we gave that up. Uh, we went over to Papua New Guinea. We worked with an unreached people group for 13 years. We had to learn their language. It took us about two and a half years to learn their language to full fluency. And then we taught them uh, from creation to Christ and then kept teaching them through that after the church was born. And then we completed the New Testament translation in 2013 and then came back to take the reins of Radius in 2016 after the church had been planted and there were elders and deacons and the church was strongly in place. So that, that's kind of a little bit of our background, 13 years overseas among a small people group called the Yembi Yembi. If people Google it, uh, there's a video that was done by a handful of guys on it called Yembi Yembi into the nations. That's really cool. Now, did you have training similar to what you guys do with Radius before you went, you and your wife went into the field? Yes, very similar. Uh, the, the main difference would be the training that we got was not geared towards closed access countries. So there's certain countries that if you're a missionary, if you're a Christian, if you're a Christian, uh, a professional Christian of any sort, you're not getting into those countries. The training that Radius offers will get you into those countries. Uh, the training we went through didn't really have that but it was really helpful for what we did. We actually did two years of training before we went overseas. And I, I firmly believe that's the litmus test for how long people make it overseas, whether they make it long-term, they see the finish line or whether they end up coming back. So you, you saw how effective that training was for your own longevity in the field and realized, Hey, we got to, we got to do something different for the rest of the sending organizations very much so it, it's and then again radius was started without me around i knew a lot of the guys that were founding it and then because i had the finance background and the background of church planning ourselves overseas um they asked me to step into the role that i'm in right now but they'd started it without me but again it was why are these issues popping up overseas? How do we get a hold of these? Well, man, going overseas and helping families with their marriage, with their parenting, here's how you should church plant, here are the obstacles. By the time they go overseas, the horse is out of the barn. The best way to fix those issues is before they even leave. And so that's kind of some of the presuppositions that Radius was predicated on. Mm, that's awesome. Now, offline, you shared the topic language in missions today. Can you share what you mean by that? Yeah. Um, so if, if missions pastors and pastors are wanting to send people effectively, I really believe there's almost a language in missions that they have to be 
they don't have to be fluent in it, but they've got to be conversant in it. They got to know what the dominant issues and missions are today. Many, many churches are, are fairly good at knowing the different issues related to ecclesiology, soteriology, but missiology, they seem to have a, a really maybe a less firm grasp on issues, disciple making movements, church planning movements, the camel method, orality, um, rapid discipleship, short short cycle church planning, Muslim idiom translations. These are all the language of missions today. And to at least have a knowledge, this is what our members are getting into. If they join XYZ agency, this is the philosophy that's going to be pushed. If they join uh, WX agency, this particular philosophy is going to be pushed. So the language of missions is really key today. And to understand that, not to be fully up to speed, that's going to be really difficult, but for a missions pastor to really understand these issues before they send. So not necessarily different culture languages, just the un- an understanding of language within missiology and, and different strategies that exist within this. There's a, there's a lot of organs, there are a lot of strategies within how to pursue missions, right? And so having an understanding around that language, is that kind of the direction yeah. you're going? And maybe I misunderstood your question. I mean, I'm a very a big proponent of learning language when they get overseas to whatever target group or whatever people group that they're actually going to work among, learning language to full fluency, not market fluency. That's what North Americans are typically doing. But that's one side of language. I'm saying just the general picture as North American pastors and missionaries head overseas to understand the methodological landscape, to understand what are the dominant issues. That to me, the way I phrase that is the language of missions today in the North American context. So sorry, you might have been going for the first one. I kind of went for the second one, but I'd love to talk about the first one too. No, yeah, that's that's perfect. So, So regarding the first one, the language of of missions in in just the North American context, um, there are you know it seems like endless strategies that we can pursue. How do you guys um, raise up and train uh, your people within your training programs? Um, like you said, not to necessarily be uh, able to execute on all of them perfectly, but just have an understanding maybe to best apply a strategy that's going to fit within the context of where they're going. Yeah, to some degree, what we're going to say is better than looking at the methodologies is better to understand what is the end goal. And the end goal will dictate the methods you want to use. And if the end goal is a strong, vibrant New Testament church, that's the end goal. Disciples are a first step to that. They're a wonderful first step, but that's not the finish line. The finish line is actually to see a strong New Testament church planted that will outlive all of us. And if that's the goal, then methodology will be based on that being the primary thing that we're shooting for. And so we have a three-month class where we walk through every missiological method out there today. And we have the students give reports on it. And we look at where did this come from? Who are the proponents of it? What are the historical roots? But more importantly, what are the biblical roots? And sometimes, to be honest, or lack thereof. And so we're looking at each one of these methodologies How do they stack up biblically based on the church being the end goal? And so that's really where I would say churches, you you want to look at, honestly, most missiological methods and bad methodologies can be wiped out if they have a real clear definition of what is the church and what is the gospel. If they get those two things right, 
almost everything else snapped into place pretty well. So offline, again, you shared a, a topic and, and passion for the Great Commission. So the hope is that obviously every Christian ministry exists to execute on that on this command. Uh, obviously, that's not always the case, but let's assume it is uh, for for this discussion. How does Radius approach the Great Commission? Uh, there are again back to this the last language in North American Church around missiology. There's a, a multitude of mo- models that we can follow. Uh, DMM, CHE, CPM, Proclamation Model, T4T, DBS, like the acronyms can get a little, get a spinning, right? Um, all of them claiming uh, incredible success rates. They've got incredible stories coming out of them. Where does, where does Radius stand with all of that stuff? Well, I mean, that is a really big question right now. Not where Radius stands, but how do these methodologies stack up? I would encourage your listeners, we, we, did, we held a debate between a really prominent, well-known advocate for CPM, church planting movements, and what is known today is the proclamational method, the teaching from creation through to Christ, learning a language before you teach, being able to understand and know the culture, and kind of working uh, in a different way, historic way is what we would say. And I think most of the CPM advocates would say as well. We held the debate between two advocates for either side, uh, December of last year. And that's on our website, radiusinternational.org. It's under the resources tab. I would highly recommend uh, people who are interested in this debate, because that's about a two hour debate and it's got a lot mm-hmm. of good interactions. That would probably more helpful, be more helpful than me trying to give a cursory overview. Radius is, there are certain parts to CPM that are very helpful. Uh, one aspect of that is their emphasis on prayer. Another aspect is their push towards indigenization. Um, and I, I want to say up front, man, the motives behind every one of the brothers for CPM DMM that we've run across are excellent. Their desire to see churches planted as quickly as possible and as far as possible is fabulous. The execution though is brutal. It's brutal to the church and it's brutal to the gospel because sometimes speed and pragmatism end up driving the methodology rather than what we see in the clear teachings of scripture. And so Radius is going to take parts of CPM and go, these are good things. And these other parts are very dangerous and and we'll make no bones about that, but we'll let each one of the students and where they end up going and who their church, we want their church to be driving their methodology, not Mm. the agency. That that's a big distinction in today's missions world. So if the, if you're allowing the church to drive it and back to the original discussion topic on, on the language of all this within the church, um, do you find that a lot of churches just don't have an understanding or preference on on what the said missionary should be, um, what strategy they should be using? Does that come up at times? At times, I'm just I'll speak generally on Radius. So Radius has we have, when our students come to us three. It's about a month and a half afterwards. Um, the parent we have a parents weekend where their immediate family comes down to see how they're doing get to check in on them and then about six months later we have a what we call radius day and that's for potential students and for pastors and most especially for pastors of students that are in the program presently and that's where we spend a lot of time with the pastors and we will walk them through different methodologies that are out there today 
And as pastors become aware of, okay, this is what obedience-based discipleship means. Because when a pastor that is not familiar with the missions discussion today hears obedience-based discipleship, that sounds great. That's a really helpful thing. But when he hears that unbelievers are leading small groups of people in a Bible discussion, and these are all unbelievers at the table listening to this unbeliever proclaim this, and there's actually a drive towards having that exist, he's going to have some pretty big pushback when he hears the content and who's teaching and what actually is qualified as a church and how fast they're baptized. He's going to have some serious questions regarding that when he understands what they mean by obedience-based discipleship. And I'm just taking one example from the CPM handbook. These are things that pastors, if they knew, I mean, we're we're finding DMM, CPM, the voices, and there's some major voices, Mark Dever, uh, David Platt, Alistair Begg, John MacArthur. They're finding out more and more, and some of their interviews are on our website. These things are really, really going to be put down quickly. Not not quickly, just because of the pervasiveness, but they're going to be put down strongly because it doesn't stack up to what evangelical Christianity has been teaching for the last 500 years. So, so then you guys are essentially teaching a, uh, a hybrid model, if you will. Like, here's all the options. Here's the things that we like about each of these options. And we would recommend picking and choosing, or, or does it come down to like, there's a, you radius has its own specific model that is being encouraged. No, we actually don't have a radius model. We don't even have a hybrid that we teach. We lay out all of the different models and we lay out the biblical underpinnings for them. And we let the students in conjunction with their churches Uh choose what they're going to do. And that that's kind of, it's one of those things that we have the luxury of doing because we're not a sending organization. We're a training institute. And so because of that, we can expose, okay, this is, this is what's out there. And there's some, there's some downsides to chronological Bible teaching. There's downsides to storying. There, there's downsides to all of them. But better that you know all of these before you jump in with a certain agency that has a huge dog in the fight, and you didn't know that before you sent them or because you, before you went as a missionary. So we don't really have a methodology. We just would prefer to teach, hey, this is how we see the apostles' church planning. This is how we see it in the book of Acts. This is how we see Paul moving forward. This is what we read in the epistles, how he viewed the church. This is where he put the bulk of his energies, and we push students that way. Do you find that once you've communicated all those things and laid all the strategies out, that that there are students who may um, have a sending agency that now they don't necessarily agree with the model that that sending agency prefers they use, that they change before they go into the field to a different sending agency? Yeah. Um, so Radius's philosophy, about 60, sometimes 70% of our students that come to us on any given class are unaffiliated to any agency. They're independent. They heard about us at a conference somewhere. They heard us speak at some place and they want to come down and get our training. Their church has given them the thumbs up. But then about 30%, maybe 40% sometimes are affiliated with an agency. So let's say if they come with pioneers, we make a promise to pioneers. If they come with them, they're already signed up with them. They're not going to jump ship while they're with us. Otherwise that would really undermine kind of the confidence of agencies 
in Australia right. or students. And so they don't jump ship if they're already affiliated. But we do recommend for students that are considering signing with an agency before they come to us not to do that because we have found quite a bit of times where they have buyer's remorse, so to speak, in that now they're tied to an agency and they wish they would have known what they didn't know. That's the biggest thing we hear about two months into the program from students and from pastors and parents. We didn't know what we didn't know. And now that they know these things, they would much rather choose to go a different path or at least to say something up front to the agency that they're involved with. And, and we love a lot of these agencies are quality institutions. They have some great things about them. Some of them have some streaks of certain methodologies that we're not comfortable with, but we know their hearts in the right place. And we're, we're hoping for more and more of them to see some of the ramifications of the methodologies that they bought into. Hmm. And, and I think that that's an important piece to all of this, right? That the heart and motivation behind all of this. And, and there's again, a ton of different strategies. And it seems like if, as you look into each one of these strategies, there's incredible stories of how God is working through the organization and, and the people involved and the strategies that are being used. So ultimately a lot of it, you know, we know that this work comes down to the Holy spirit working. Um, all of these strategies are man-made strategies. So I guess, I guess for our listeners and, and for context to where, from where we're coming from, we, we talk with a lot of organizations that are humanitarian, social good, compassion, like relief type organizations that have a desire to work discipleship into their programs. And so maybe don't know how or what that looks like. And so um, I've been personally just trying to find and research and get as much information on all these strategies so that um, we can be a resource to point towards here's some of the options that exist. Um, and so maybe what would be in your, your encouragement for ministries that might historically be more compassion focused uh, in their work, um, but want to start working discipleship into their programs? Like what, what routes can these organizations take to learn some of these models, learn the, the ins and outs of all these things and, and make educated decisions for their organizations? Yeah, I would say two things. Number one, um, I mean, I'll, I will address your question. Number two, I just would touch on one thing. I would be very careful basing strategies off of stories or reports of success that have happened on the field. Mm -hmm. We've found that a lot of these things, I mean, to put it conservatively, are somewhat exaggerated. Uh, to put it maybe a little bit stronger, there's just not a lot of evidence when you know the language and you're on site and you've actually investigated these things and seen how much are there. We, we're really hesitant. One of the things that has kind of been used to promote some of these methodologies is this phrase, it's working, it's working. And that seems to trump everything. Uh. We would say, man, it's working. It should we really be subservient to, is it biblical? Can it be proven through scripture? Not just anecdotally, but is there actually a theme of this throughout the scriptures that we see this methodology being proposed? And so that, that to us, us and again, a lot of evangelical leaders out there, uh, they're starting to get wind of some of these things. And I think there's going to be some severe backlash probably in the next five or so years to some of these things that 
missions has always been on the cutting edge, the cutting edge for good and the cutting edge for bad because it's so far out there. There's very little accountability. And so when the chickens come home to roost later on, it sometimes goes well and sometimes it doesn't go so well. And so I would recommend two things. Number one, uh, if, if churches are wanting to know more or organizations, there's a great book coming out. I just read it. It's called No Shortcut to Success by Matt Rhodes. That's a fabulous little book to catch up on maybe how to disciple in a different manner than um, what's been seen in the last five or 10 years. Uh, perspectives class still is a very good tool. There's certain parts of perspectives class that you want to be careful. Who are the teachers of that? What are their background? But perspectives class has been a wonderful thing for catalyzing North Americans and other countries now too. The class has gone far and wide. There's going to be an alternative to perspectives that maybe shores up some of the weaknesses coming out in the next a year or two. I'm familiar with that program as well. But honestly, I would attend, and this may sound like it's self-serving, but I would attend uh, one of our Radius Missiology conferences where we talk about issues. We have an annual conference this year. It'll be in San Diego, California in June 24th and 25th. David Platt, Ian Hamilton, a handful of other speakers. And then next year, it'll be at Bethlehem Baptist in the early weeks in June. We haven't nailed down the dates yet, but Mark Dever and John Piper will be the keynote speakers and a handful of our in-house staff. That to me is one of the best areas to get up to speed on what is happening in the world of missions. What are some methodologies that can stand up to biblical scrutiny and probably help your organization and your church so much as far as what are we doing that will actually impact the Great Commission? Because the Great Commission gets, that's a whole other topic that I, I hope we dip into, but the Great Commission gets slapped on everything today when in actuality the Great Commission is probably for a smaller group and a smaller mission of people. I You touched on earlier and and even in that answer touched on uh language being a key factor in in what's really going on through some of these stories um talk to us about the difference between market fluency which you touched on and world worldview fluency which i don't think we've talked about yet yeah great question um okay so no the last statistics, evidence, Joshua Project, uh, Operation World all across the board, the last language groups that exist in the world, uh, about 3,100 with no gospel, no disciples, no church, uh, they're, they're not random. They're, they're actually the last for very specific reasons. They're hard to get to, and they have hard languages. And North Americans historically have been known to go into a place uh, somewhat quicker than probably what they should uh, to try and present the gospel. Again, good hearts, wonderful motivations, love the Lord Jesus Christ. That's not in doubt. But the methodologies have been really pushed a lot faster than they probably should have been. And so North Americans typically don't get good. They don't get to worldview fluency in a language before they present the gospel. They get to market fluency. And market fluency is when you can buy fruit, you can get your oil changed, you can go to the hospital and have brief conversations, you can do small talk. But worldview fluency is when you can teach Romans 7, 8, and 9 with clarity. 
Worldview fluency is where you can handle question and answer off the cuff. You can teach expositionally from scripture. You can do these things and you sound like an insider. You don't sound like a North American. It's a tragedy that many North Americans today will actually sound like a North American. And what that means is the God they represent will always sound like an outsider as well. And it's not until missionaries take language learning, culture learning seriously before they get into ministry, because we find that when somebody gets into ministry, that's the plateau for their language. It gets better in certain areas, but overall, it usually plateaus right there. And so before you jump into ministry, to get to that worldview fluency is so very key, not for the missionary's sake, for the gospel's sake. And so that's something that we push pretty heavy down here at Radius. Now, do you guys... Should sending agencies be encouraging and making maybe an, a requirement that their their missionaries are getting to world worldview fluency? I would say so, but more. I mean, we find that the agencies there will be certain ones that will be, be better at this, and others that will be worse. We find though that when the home church that sends the missionary mandates to the agency our missionary is going to get fluent and they're going to get fluent by an objective standard. Here's how we're going to do that. And we teach people how to measure language learning objectively. And then they're going to enter into ministry. When the home church says that the agency is going to obviously want to follow what the home church says. And so when home churches say that, that's when we see the most progress being made. And honestly, I mean, for myself and my wife who are 13 years overseas, we learned the language in two and a half years we say, some, we say this to our students all the time. The fifth year of our ministry in Yembe Yembe, where we worked, was better than the previous four combined. The seventh year was better than the previous six combined. The tenth year was better than the previous nine combined because you get better and better and you have more credibility. But if your language isn't there, you're not increasing at those multiplying rates. Your language is really the key to whether or not you're going to impact them long-term or whether it's going to be a shorter term impact. So Brooks, do you guys, do you guys see that? um, Do you see any examples of local churches, home churches or sending agencies that are doing this stuff really well, that can be maybe an example to, or um, guide for some other organizations and churches that may not know where to look? Yeah, actually we do. Um, It's, it's encouraging because we're seeing more and more of them. We find that one of the growing trends out there right now is churches sending their own people, not going through agencies. That can have good sides. That can have downsides as well. So churches got to go in with their eyes open. But there are agencies that we see doing a good job at this. And there's actually some fairly big ones that we see trying to kind of turn the ship back to some of these more historic methods that are out there. And I mean, I can name a few of them. We Probably one of the ones that we're most encouraged with, it's a smaller one. It's called Global Serve International, GSI. Uh, We're encouraged by what they're doing. Uh, They have really good ecclesiology. They think through language learning really well. Chris Starr does a pretty good job of that as well. Pioneers has a vein within them that does a good job. And I know the leadership within Pioneers is working to maybe come back to some of those historic methodologies And then a church that we know well, uh, just a few, one of them would be Sovereign Grace Church in Bakersfield, California, is doing an excellent job with their missions program. 
Uh, Capitol Hill Baptist, we very much uh, enjoy what they do and how they think through these issues. Claremont Emanuel Baptist Church as well. Uh, there's also Living Grace uh, Church that's in Bakersfield that's doing an excellent job. I'm thinking, oh, there's two in Iowa. I can't remember exactly their name. But anyways, those are those would be examples of ones that we would go, these guys are thinking through these issues. They have really good pounded out uh, missions programs to where they talk about uh, how they want to send, what they expect from their missionaries, what the end goal is, all of those types of things. And they're all encouraging and recommending that their, their people are getting to that worldview fluency that you talked about. Exactly. That that to us is a dominant issue because if if they're not going for language and culture fluency, and again, you, you don't have to have worldview fluency if you're going to drill wells or if you're going to work in an orphanage or if you're going to work with, um, let's say, refugees. Th- those are things that you wouldn't necessarily tie to church planting. It could, it could lead to that. And praise God for the organizations that are doing that well. There are, I know of quite a few of them. I've had a handful come down to Radius, but there are some really good agencies that are doing that. And But that's not necessary. It's when you get into church planning directly, frontline church planning among unreached, unengaged people groups, language fluency to the worldview level is, is absolutely critical. It's not optional. Optional. And that's where we've seen historically North American missionaries in particular. We don't find this issue with the Asian churches because they have been on the receiving end of North Americans that didn't learn their language and they learned the lesson through that. But we find mm. North Americans still kind of have that, yeah, but let's get to the gospel. But if they don't understand it very clearly, what exactly are they getting? And that's what most North Americans kind of miss out on. So you would put this uh, above priority than what strategy the the missionary is going to use. Yeah, I would. And I would say it should be kind of one of those pillars. If you're going to plant a church among an unreached people group, again, I want to, I want to put the caveats in there. If you're doing other things, it does, it falls down on the list of priorities. But if you're planting a church, you, learning the language of the people, I mean, Paul, I think it's in First uh, Corinthians chapter 14, where he talks about if the bugle doesn't give a clear call to battle, how will anybody know what's being, what's what the note the player is playing? If someone doesn't speak in a language that's intelligible to me or to you, how in the world will we know what he's saying? And the hmm. God that's represented behind that message will also be unintelligible. And that that's the biggest fear is that Christians, good-hearted Christians, are not getting to the gospel because they don't know how to communicate clearly. Yeah. So back to the Great Commission. Yes. How do you how do you feel? What what would you say to how how we can see this um, to completion as you know as quick as possible? Yeah. Um, what I would say is to look really closely at Matthew twenty eight nineteen and twenty. Uh, to take the gospel to the nations, pontata ethne is the actual Greek there. And so nations, you've got the 1974 Luzon Conference where Ralph Winters brought that out very clearly. These are unreached, unengaged, ethno-linguistic people groups. And to get to those places, that's the goal of the church. That's why the church is left here. That's why we're still here to see that accomplished. I think that's the Great Commission. I think that's what scripture points to as the Great Commission, is that 
We don't try and build the church in France, the church in China, in the Mandarin-speaking language. We don't try and build the church in the English-speaking world and call that the Great Commission. That's still a very helpful, very powerful tool that we have to be doing as Christians. As I'm here in San Diego, I attend an English-speaking church, and I'm a member there, but I'm not calling that the Great Commission. The Great Commission is getting to those last places the language groups in particular, people groups is too nebulous, but language groups that still have no access to the gospel. That's the accomplishment of the Great Commission. And as we intentionally target those areas, we train, we send, and we look for ways to move and to keep moving out to those locations. That's the Great Commission. One of the big downfalls in North America today is anything Uh, and this is maybe a little broad, but almost anything done with somebody other than a family member outside of your house is called missions. And that's just not biblically what we see in scripture. There are things that are missions and there are things that are not, or frontline missions, however we want to call it. But we've got to be able to kind of sharpen that pencil to where it's got a little bit more point to it. Otherwise, we never actually finish the thing that the church was left here to do. Hmm. That's so good. Um, and you would point to some of those or those organizations that you already spoke to that are that have a focus on those unreached um, un- unreached languages even not just people groups yeah as organizations as organizations to follow and and learn from and and yeah. seek guidance from I want to be careful in that, in that GSI is one of the ones, and there would be a couple others that would be almost. 100% committed to that. Other ones like Pioneers is really big. And so because right. they're so big, they would have a vein that we would say that's what they're doing, but they would have other veins that are doing other things. You would just want to be real careful. What vein are you jumping into when you get into bigger organizations, even Frontiers. Frontiers has some good church planning teams on it. I don't know if you're familiar with Big Tent methodology or Big Tent mission sending agencies where you can do anything within the agency as long as that's what your MOU, your memorandum of understanding on that team says you're about. And so certain teams within the IMB, within Frontiers, within Christar, within Pioneers, they're doing some of those things that we're talking about, but I would be hesitant to say the entire organization. Gotcha. Um, let's shift a little bit. What are What is Radius specifically doing to communicate some of the stories of how God is moving through your ministry to your supporters and your donor base? Yeah, we have a report that we put out every three weeks. It's called the Radius Report. Uh, If you get on radiusinternational.org and you scroll to the bottom of the website, there's a sign-up space for that. And so we put out a report. Uh, It's usually an article every three weeks on some particular aspect of missions that missions pastors and senior pastors should be thinking through. So that's primarily how we communicate with a lot of the donors and a lot of our alumni and different people that are out there uh, in the radius orbit, so to speak. And then, like I said, the missiology conference is a big one for us when we see a lot of church pastors, a lot of young people getting together. We'll be at cross conference this year. That'll be in Louisville. Uh, I think that's December 30th through January 2nd. That's a great opportunity to kind of mix and mingle with the radius staff. And we'll have probably 40, graduates or present students with us there uh, will have a big presence. So those would be ways that they could kind of interact with us. But if 
If pastors or potential students are interested, there's a way to get in contact with us on the website. I would encourage them to that and maybe come for one of the radius days where we have pastors and students and even interested other people come down and they spend a night on campus. They get to visit with the students, the faculty, the staff. They get to see it up close, ask questions about anything. Uh, We kind of walk through the nuts and bolts of what radius does and why it's so different. It's getting a lot of, I mean, I'm, trying to be measured in the way I say this, but it's getting a lot of traction these days because it is so different than the normal model. Um, That's about all the time that we have. This has been awesome, Brooks. I really appreciate your time and and willingness to come on the show. Can I pray for you in Radius? Absolutely. Thank you, Zach. Yeah, of course. Father, I just lift up Brooks, uh, his team, uh, Radius. I pray that you would just continue to do incredible things through this organization to raise up uh, missionaries and leaders and, and people that are going to proclaim your name and and go to the front lines and, and go where no one else would go. Father, I pray that um, you would give Brooks and his team clear direction and guidance as, as they lead others. Father, thank you so much for their willingness to um, be a part of what you're doing and, and invest in your redemption of humanity. Father, we just appreciate and love that you have invited into this us into this story. So mm. we love you. Thank you so much. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Brooks, how can people get a hold of you if they want to learn more? I know you touched on it a little bit, but what's the quickest way to get a hold of you and, and learn more about Radius? Yeah, there there's a contact uh, point right on the website there, radiusinternational.org. And the secretary who mans that, if you write to me specifically, Brooks, it's like Garth Brooks, uh, Buser, um, they will get that to me and I will try and answer as many questions that come in or thoughts of anybody that has any questions based off of this. Perfect. Well, I will put that in the show notes. And uh, again, we appreciate you being on the show. Thanks so much. No worries, brother. Thanks for the opportunity. Have a good day. All right. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Ministry Grow Show. If you enjoyed it, we'd appreciate it if you rate and or review us on the iTunes store and make sure you subscribe so you never miss an episode. If you have a story to share with other ministry directors and pastors, or know someone who would be an incredible guest on the Ministry Grow Show, let us know. We love connecting with ministry executives and sharing their wisdom and insight with our audience. Just send us an email at info at reliantcreative.org. And lastly, if you need help telling your ministry story, we would love to share how we can help in that process. Check out Reliant Creative at reliantcreative.org. See you next time.